What do you know about free speech? Today, we're going to talk to the Jewish activist who has been tirelessly crusading on behalf of the First Amendment, despite being banned from every social media network. Laura Loomer is here. True story. And have you ever wondered what would happen if you trespassed those big red warning signs right into Palestinian territory? Today, we're going to meet the Israeli who does just that. Corey from the Ask Project is here. And what do you want for Hanukkah? I'm going to share the best and most hilarious gifts that you can get your Jewish friends. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I am your lovely and talented, knock adjusted host, feeling much better, ready to rock and roll. I have a great show for you. Um, I just want to start off by saying that on episode 65, Monday's episode, I misspoke and said that Chava Sharbani received her get. She has not received her get. Her ex has been served papers, but no get, sadly. All right, it's always a good day when no Israelis are stabbed or run over or blown up by Palestinian terrorists. So today's a good day, which is why I am happy to welcome Corey Gilshuster to the show. He is the Israeli Jew behind the Ask Project, which is essentially his very popular YouTube channel, which I love, where he shares videos of himself asking Jews and Palestinians all kinds of questions that he collects from his listeners. Questions that include, do you hate Jews? Do you hate Arabs? What do you learn from the Jews? What do Israelis have that you don't have? What do you think about honor killings? Does the IDF use proportional force with Gaza? Do you listen to Israeli music? Why do you wear a hijab? What do you think about the Jewish settlements? Do you have any Palestinian friends? And so on and so forth. A thousand videos deep. If you don't know much about the Israeli-Palestinian culture, you should certainly start by watching some of Corey's videos. Very interesting stuff. I'm a fan. I learn a lot from his videos. So without further ado, Corey Gil Schuster. Corey Gil Schuster, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for being here. You are the host. Is that what you call yourself? The creator? Creator. You have 260,000 subscribers. I last checked. You're doing this for 10 years. You celebrated 1,000 videos recently. Mm-hmm. Let's start from the beginning because the people listening might not know what you do and how you do it. You are a Jew from Canada, where yeah. I'm originally from. My grandparents are from Canada. I spent three years there in the winter. I totally uh, understand why you don't live there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you live here in Israel. You have this uh, YouTube channel where you go out and you interview Jews and Palestinians yeah. and you take questions from people around the world. So let's get to the crux of it um what do you get out of it personally okay and based on your comments what do your followers get out of what you do uh okay so what do i get out of it um i get a a sense of uh that i i feel like i'm doing something it's 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 my meaning in life in a sense i don't get you're gonna sound really sad but i don't have very much that gives me a lot of meaning um i i have a, a son but he's 23 and he you know doesn't need me anymore which makes me sad all the time um i have four kids here if you want to babysit uh when they're not mine i you know i'm less interested but fair enough kids are great kids are terrific just don't want them all the time um so i think it gives me a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose in life and the fact that it's a bit unique and that I'm the only one who really does it is is a lot of fun. I I, I really enjoy that. So that's what it gives me uh, mainly, I would say. Also, it gives me knowledge, which is terrific. I mean, you know, I'm I'm constantly questioning uh, my my assumptions and what people say all the time. 
Me um, too. So That's why, true. as you can see, my T-shirt says "Understand." I'm always yeah. looking to yeah. understand more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, try. But you read uh, the comments on your videos? I do not. So that was the second part. What does it give people? I do not read comments. People, uh, my my joke or a semi joke is that it's you know people on on uh, YouTube who make comments are like monkeys throwing poop. Like they're just. It's just about who they're against and who they don't like and what you're doing wrong. And I naively went into this reading the comments thinking, oh, someone is going to say, Corey, you're holding the camera wrong. Corey, you need better sound equipment here. Let me give you three different, you know, microphones that would help you. I thought I was going to get constructive comments, criticism of, no, you should be asking more people who, whatever. Um, no, what I get is people who just hate one side or love one side. Mainly, I should so, say. So you're saying that it's polarizing to interview Palestinians? <laughs> I naively, stupidly went into this <laughs> thinking, yes, I know, I know. Because on every other type forum, type Facebook, whatever, everyone's always just bickering at each other and nobody listens. Um, what uh, has surprised me is every so often, uh, sometimes people will send me screenshots or I do sometimes sneak and, and take a, a peek at what people are saying, if it's something. Uh, uh, when, when somebody says... Um, things like I, I came from the Arab world or I, or I was very against Jews or Israelis or I was very against Palestinians and I just saw them all as terrorists and you've shown me something different. It doesn't, I don't think it really changes their mind. I don't want to be, you know, like, oh my God, I've discovered that Israel is wonderful and Palestinians are terrific. It's not that. It just, it humanized them each side to uh, in a way that surprised people, and if I could keep if I can keep people thinking in that sense of like, oh, maybe all everything I'm told about whoever is not exactly true, or there's more to it. Uh, to me, that's good enough. I, well, I'm I see people conversing in the comments, going back and forth. Your page is very community driven. It it creates a and, lot of conversation, and you're taking questions from your audience. So yes. this is kind of yes. a relationship that, that you have. All these questions are, even sometimes some of the questions I go, huh, what, nobody's ever asked about whatever. And then I go to my Gmail and there's thousands of, of emails I haven't actually checked. And I do a word search and I go, oh yeah, they have asked it. I just haven't been paying attention. So then I go ask it. All right, people are super but, creative. But it has to be from people. People have to actually send me the question. I, I can't make them up. Okay, I'm so curious about the technicalities and how you pull this off. So how do you, as a Jew and an Israeli, get in, and more importantly, get out of these neighborhoods, the Palestinian neighborhoods, safely? Because let's call a spade a spade. It's more of a risk for a Jew to go into these Palestinian yeah. territories and for a Palestinian, you know, who has papers or working papers or anything, mm -hmm. not looking to kill, um, to come into Israeli territory. So how do you pull that off? Uh, so first of all, just going in, anyone can just walk into the West Bank. It's this whole idea that where the red signs you. are, where the, where red, the signs red signs are? are. If you don't now, it's not legal. I should mention if you're an Israeli Jew it's not technically legal. So I'm breaking the law. Um, but you can. Nobody stops you. I've been stopped out of the hundreds and probably 200 times, 300 times that I've gone into these areas. I've been stopped twice, once going into Nablus and once going into Bethlehem. And it was only because there was something military going on. And I showed my Canadian passport and they're like, you know, it's dangerous. And I go, yeah, I know it's dangerous. I, I know well. Um, and it's not an issue. It's coming back into Israel proper. No offense. Uh, that when you're crossing the checkpoint, 
um, that's where I have to show ID to get into Israel. And there, um, I used to show my Canadian passport, but at a certain point, they started to crack down on people who don't have proper visas. So they asked me for my visa. I don't have a visa. You made Aliyah, I'm a, I'm no? A citizen. Yeah, right. I made Aliyah. I'm a citizen. So I show my my Israeli ID every time. And I go through Palestinian checkpoints where I'm not supposed to be. And because my name, my name is Corwin, um, because my name is a little strange, I don't think they pay attention that they don't really notice. A couple of times I've been told you're a Jew and I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, what are you doing here? And usually they'll say before I can even answer, I've never actually explained what I do ever to anybody at a checkpoint. Um, they'll say, ah, you're a leftist. And I are go, you? sure, let's go with that. Are you? Why not? What? Are you? Semi, I believe I, I voted merits in the past. I have, yeah, I vote for them. I'm sometimes. so sorry <laughs> for I, what I, happened yeah, to whatever. your party. <laughs> Look, I, I have to blame the left because they're not. That's all other thing. That's a different okay. conversation. Another political so I, conversation. The fact that they're not in the parliament. I mean, I don't think it's good for democracy, but uh, I can only blame the left in Israel for not keeping up to what is going on and not adapting. Um, so they usually just go, "You shouldn't be here. You're crazy." Or they see me. I don't know if you get this ever. If you say something to Israel, okay, Israelis do this thing where mostly if you're foreign, you have an accent that you're a naive Ashkenazi. Like, no, we, the Israelis. Are you looking talk- how white I am? That is the story of my life in this okay, country. Okay, so I, you, maybe you get this, or maybe like maybe you're in a world where you don't. I get this all the time. Like, you naive, silly Canadian Ashkenazi. You don't know from Arabs. You don't understand them. We, the Mizrahi, Mizrahi the, the Jews of, of, of Eastern descent, uh, uh, we understand the Arab mentality. We know you don't understand. And I you just, don't understand I how much I understand. Okay, sure. My right. husband is Sfardi. My husband yeah. is Sfardi. We I went am. to an Arab village. I don't remember the name to a warehouse where they rent props for theater. We needed to get some saxophones for my son's preschool graduation. Mm-hmm. And my husband, who's Sephardic, was hyperventilating. And I'm like, you're the Israeli here. And exactly. I was with my head out the window. They're all full head, of crap. Head out the window taking footage like, look at that beautiful mosque. Now, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not a leftist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm very much fearful of the Palestinians and well aware of the amount of terrorism that does come from the Palestinians. And that is just the reality that we have to live with. However, as I'm watching your videos, it definitely humanizes their community. And I can appreciate that. You do tours, right? Sort of. I don't really call it tours. I'm not a tour guide. But as a way to save, because I have to pay, every time I have to pay a translator when I go to the West Bank, I have travel costs. If I need to go somewhere which doesn't have a good bus system, I have to rent a car. It costs money. So as a way to save on the cost to me, um, I invite people to, they rent the car, they pay the translator. um, Do they have to sign their life? Do they have they, to sign they, their life? It hasn't <laughs> happened. I even I even brought my cousin who is very Jewish looking. That was the whole conversation before this was hilarious. He's like, but I look like such a Jew. And I'm like, they don't understand. They don't know. They have no idea what a Jew looks Ooh, like. Oh, the Palestinians don't know what a Jew looks like? Because no, I could no. spot a Palestinian from the back of their head. Of course. Of course. They don't think when you're there, oh, he must be a Jew. They don't think I, that. That's what I tell my husband. I'm like, if I were there, I could be just an Eastern European, Scandinavian, Swedish woman. And They don't they- know. They don't know. No, no. What they hear is the accent. So once I said, I was in Bethlehem, and I said, oh, are you all from Bethlehem? And because I said, huh, 
it's an Israeli chah, not a Palestinian chah. They freaked out. They thought I was for sure Shabak. They thought I was, I was intelligence. And they freaked out completely. Everyone scrambled, didn't say a word. So and many questions. Wow. And they, yeah. that's what they were. They, they, they see certain things, not the look. We always think we, because we talk about, we Jews, when I'm talking about, talk about how he looks Jewish, he doesn't look Jewish, this looks Jewish, whatever. Everything is about, we're very self absorbed people, just who we are. Um, so we think that way. They don't think that way. They, they're self absorbed in their own way. What's Arab, what's not Arab. So, well, you but, once asked a question about the side curls. Yes. No, they 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 will say a Jew is the one with the side curls. Yes. Right, so if they say a Haredi Jew, right. yes, that's a Jew. That's that then you're at if you I would not invite somebody who is Haredi to come with me. Okay. Du- duly noted if you're listening. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. So you go into these neighborhoods, you ask questions to Jews and Palestinians alike. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it for many years now. Um, you know, when we have these kind of conflicts, especially when they're over territory and we have similar cultures and backgrounds and we're living in the same vicinities, you must see how in these conversations we mimic each other in our answers. You know, everyone yes. cherry, we cherry yes. pick information. This is uh, this supports my argument. This supports argument. So do you see the answers to the questions mirroring each other in both sides? Yes and no. I mean, there's differences, obviously, and I'm more because I know the Israeli side a bit more. I've lived here, um, and because uh, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I, I, I try to take a, a you know a, an objective look at it. I'm more Canadian than I am a Jewish Israeli. I'm, I really my values are much more Canadian than than they are Israelis, unless I'm like in a line, and then I. What, you know, what are Canadian kind of, values? <laughs> about are being you? fair, about being about being kind, about. Um, you know, if it's, if, if you have a certain right or you do something, well, then he should be able uh, to do it as well. There's no two different systems, that kind of thing. So when they point stuff like, uh, out like that, like Israelis will say something like, well, my, my big thing is Israelis who will talk about how when the Arabs understand Palestinians, meaning when Palestinians understand that, um, if things are good under the Jews, everything will be fine. And I say, okay, let's accept that as, you know, the Jews control and the Palestinians are here, but are they truly equal? And can they be, by that, I mean, could they be prime minister? Could they be minister of defense? I mean, obviously they're going to be elected into that. They've got to be somewhat fair. They're not going to be, it's not going to be Ahmad Tibi or someone like that. Who's like, you know, going on, I'm only uh, obsessed with the Palestinians. Um, And often the answer is, well, no, of course not. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's the Canadian value in me, meaning you have to think of things as, as what is actually fair for all people involved if they're a citizen. If they're yeah, citizen, true, right. true. But then you'll start, you know, analyzing what is fair. I mean, is it fair mm-hmm. that we're subjected to terrorism day in and day out? I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm using a very specific example. Right. No, okay. those, are different, those are under conflict. I'm talking about, let's say we get to post-conflict. What does that look like? That's what I was focusing on. Right. So, I let's, want let's that say. Canadian value. My Jewish value as a Jew, I'm scared uh, that non-Jews are going to kill me. That is a Jewish value. That is something we grew up with, whether you're in Canada or you're in Israel. It's the same thing. We are always afraid. But as a Canadian, I have to think what is the right thing to do for all of society and for all citizens and that sort of thing. I don't mean it's it's the only right thing. I'm just saying those are Canadian values. I think that's why your page is so successful because – Anyone can watch the videos and listen to the conversations and not feel like you're representing one side more than the other. Well, no, I get I get people say all the time that I'm much more uh, uh, pro-Israel 
uh, than and then pro-Palestinian. But I, I'm treating them equally in the sense of the the answer is equally in that I challenge everybody. Um, they'll people will cherry pick again. So Palestinians constantly tell me I'm cherry. I I am choosing only smart Israelis and only dumb Palestinians. And I'm like, terrific. <laughs> Come with me, you, Mr. Palestinian. You choose the people. You That's choose so them, not me. Right. You come with me to Tel Aviv if they can, because not all of them can. But when they can, I'm like, you choose the people. I don't want to choose. Right, right. It's definitely, it comes across very fair, though. Um, do Israelis analyze the Palestinians better than Palestinians analyze yes. the Israelis? They do. Yes. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Um, Israelis, first of all, I think because of Mizrahi culture, you have a better, under, uh, people have a better understanding of Arab mentality. Um, because Mizrahi mentality is, is Arab mentality to a certain extent, not in every aspect, but in a lot. Um, uh, Palestinians know nothing about Judaism. They think they know something about Jews and Israelis. They really know nothing. They also, they, they don't care to learn about it more so than Israelis. So for example, more Israelis will be somewhat interested in Arab and Palestinian culture to some extent, not a lot, but some Palestinians are almost not at all, uh, interested in Jewish, anything Jewish or in really understanding things from uh, the Jewish perspective or the Israeli so, perspective. So what they is really the argument don't... general overall? Is it a, a, a an issue over territory? Is it an emotional one? Is it just based on their, you know, religious beliefs in, in the Quran? Like, what does it all boil yes. down to? If all no... of the above, all of the above. And for each person, it's a little bit different. So if you were someone like you and you were Palestinian and you were religious or believing, religion would have a lot to do with it it's all about religion it's about you know it's it's written in the quran that we will be in this in this existential uh conflict with the jews even though the quran only speaks about this a little bit um each person from their own perspective uh it, it will see it in their own way that's the interesting thing about this conflict is that it has aspects of of all conflicts that I know mostly. I mean, there's not a lot in terms of resources, but even then, you could you could make arguments for you know why Israel uh, or people make arguments why Israel um, uh, uh, conquered the West Bank. Uh, I was for resources, for water, and for I don't know what else. I, I don't know what their arguments are, and I don't really care. Um, people. People will see this conflict the way they want to see it. And so you speak to the average Israeli and Palestinian and they see it the way they want to because it satisfies something in them. Well, the Jewish Orthodox Israelis who study mm -hmm. the Torah and, you know, you approach them and you say, I want I want your religious perspective on all of this. Are you intrigued, inspired or just impressed by what the Torah has to say on this conversation or the fact that they that's their final word. In other words, yeah, the Palestinians are referring to the Quran, and then you have the Orthodox Jews referring to the Torah as their, you know, main evidence that Israel belongs to the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Does that help support their argument, or are you just like, yeah, whatever? That's a religious answer. No, I'm 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 an atheist. I don't believe in any of this. None of this makes any sense on a spiritual religious level. None of it makes any sense in that sense. It's it to me. It's this is all about identity. So who I am, uh, well, who who somebody who is religious, let's say I'm a religious uh, uh, Jew, who I am is explained through the framework of the Torah and the, and the, uh, and the, the Talmud and, and the teachings and all those sort of things. It's explained that way. It's just your, your framework that you're using. Uh, and the same for anybody who's a religious uh, Palestinian in Islam. Um, so 
Am I inspired by it? No, I think it's because uh, I'm not inspired by anything spiritual in any way. I'm missing that gene for some odd reason. I do not understand spirituality. In oh, any don't way. worry. There is a Chabad house with your name on it. I'll send you. I, I will go eat and I will talk <laughs> to everybody. But no, you're not getting me. Like nobody gets me with any uh, spiritual or religious arguments. There's an expression in Yiddish, a pintalayid. Every Jew has a little tiny oh. spark within them. And so, we will so find it in Corey. Don't worry. And and kibitzing. That's my that's my Judaism. Yeah. Um, but but I I find it interesting. Like the arguments that to me that's the interesting part. Um, well, so that's another thing you kind of alluded to before when people are watching the videos. Each person will see something very different in it. So what I think is interesting when people are, if I was watching the videos, but I'm the one filming it, is that um, people will uh, legitimize their beliefs based on religion or on identity or on something. Right. To me, that's just Super interesting. Plus the history. I love the I love Jewish history. I think Jewish history is super interesting. Yeah. Um, so I like that. And then someone else can watch the same video and see something very different. And through the, the the same person explaining something, see something very different than what I saw. But well, people take okay. away what they want. People yes. take away what they want. Yeah, that's the exactly. nature and that's of okay. our society. Yeah, that's okay. I'm okay with that. What doesn't make the cut? Because you must have Everything. a tremendous amount of footage. Everything. I have to make whole new videos because somebody in the middle went off on a tangent to answer a totally different question. And I'm like, fine, it's now your question. So I make, I have to go ask seven other people. It drives me crazy sometimes. Everything has to be there. Nothing goes to waste. Nothing goes to waste. Have you ever had people just go off, lose their minds, say things that are like super yeah. aggressive sure. or, and yeah, how, do you how do you handle that? Um... Actually, the interestingly enough, I've been uh, I've been threatened through emails and messages by Palestinians or Muslims, I should say. Yeah, your um, your translator, your translator was on a conversation on a podcast conversation, and she uh -huh. didn't show up. Is that because she was hiding her face? No, she has to hide her face. She has I to hide her let face. Her show her face. Yeah, of course. Why? I mean, she would say the same thing, but no, I because uh, that's a whole that's a different issue. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But the times um, that I was actually physically uh, threatened were by Jews. Uh, once in a Haredi in in Ramat Beit Shemesh, there's this rumor in Haredi uh, uh, circles that I am a Messianic Jew which is hysterical because I barely believe in my own religion. I'm really going to go to theirs. No One offense. second. I just saw that you posted yesterday a full hour yes. of, of Jewish perspectives on Yeshu. And it's yes. funny because I've been talking on this podcast about Lee Lapid and Tuvia Singer and the, the rumors that have been swirling around that. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I don't know who they are. No. Okay. So Mish the, the Jews for Tuvia Yeshu, Singer, I don't know who th there is a big issue with Messianic Jews in Israel, or a problem, I should say. So there is some concern in that department. But if you're saying right here, you know, on, on the record, that you're not, you don't believe in anything, and that you're yeah, not. Yeah, if you could, if you could spread that, because <laughs> you're on a very popular I'm, podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> in in Ramat Beit Shemesh, I was encircled by Jews who were threatening to beat the crap out of me if I didn't leave their neighborhood. And How I'm do they like, know who I'm you are? Not a Christian. I don't know. The only thing I can think of, because it's happened three times with about the messianic thing, is that at some point, because I asked about Jesus years ago, so what you saw yesterday was a compilation video. So I took a bunch of videos and I, I, I realized after a while, I have all this material that I released like years ago that I don't know if people have seen. And I see other channels doing compilation videos. Well, why not just re-release it? Because YouTube is strange, right? You can't just re-release a video. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so... So that's what you saw. 
Um, I think that they assumed somebody saw it, watched a minute of it, of me, because I'm very neutral, usually, more or less, when asking these questions. Like, I'm not being judgmental. I have met Messianic Jews, a few, like a very small handful. And I'm not um, against them in the sense. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I don't, uh, I don't feel threatened, right? So because I don't feel threatened, people assume that therefore I must be one of them. I think that's my only theory. I have. Well, Ramape Chemish, I'm from Ramape Chemish. And if you're talking about, you know, the different neighborhoods here, there are definitely fanatics and it was uh, a level of extremism here. Yeah. So yes. Bet is known for that. You can get yes. encircled for wearing the wrong color T-shirt. So, yes, I don't yeah, think, did yeah. not expect it. Did not expect it at all. What were you doing there? All went from from loving me as I'm asking questions to one Haredi guy runs out, goes, I know who you are. I know who you are screaming they all turned on me and this kid who was 18 was like about to punch me so anyways and it happened another time with somebody who was secular as well because he thought i was a leftist but what about by the palestinians you ever had someone threaten you with violence not in person in uh on uh through emails telling me i'm gonna tell my friends to go after you yeah i've had that mostly at the beginning do they know that you're putting this stuff on YouTube? Because they're not big on social media. They're fine with always, it. Always, 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 always. Yes, always. I it, One of the rules is I always tell people this will be on YouTube. Okay. Two more things. Your translator, how did you meet her? How does she, why does she keep doing this? I know you pay her, but still she has to obviously believe in some sense that this is for the greater good maybe, or that this is creating something positive for her society, or is it literally just a job? I mean, what, what's her relationship with you? Um, okay, so we've known each other for about eight years. Um, we get along really, really well. We're good friends. Um, it, I mean, obviously, it started off as me hiring her, but and I still pay her, of course. Um, what does she get out of this? I mean, money is part of it. So we have a lot of fun. We 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 joke around a lot and make a lot of uh, uh, like jokes behind the scenes and sometimes even on camera. And she, what does she get out of this? I think she gets out of she. It, it's like it's like you know how in Israel everyone lives in their own little bubble, right? Like you're in you're in Ramat Beit Shemesh, you're in the Anglo. I'm, I'm making assumptions here. I, you are you, you are know, correct. The Anglo religious <laughs> Orthodox uh, 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 bubble, and then you're like, oh, those Tel Aviv people, they're all this, they're all that, whatever. Everyone lives in their own little bubble, and everyone makes assumptions about everyone else. There's some truth, but I also meet people in Tel Aviv, for example, everyone loves to talk about Tel Aviv being a bubble. I meet lots of uh, right-wing uh, Ben Gvir uh, uh, supporters. It's not that rare. I mean, it's not you know common, but it's not that rare in even a place like Tel Aviv. Um, and I think what she gets out of it is she learns about her own people. Um, and every so often I have to push her because she'll say something and I, I like she'll say something the person said and say I assume he means this and I go ask and every so often probably about 10% of the time she's a bit off she's wrong um because she's filtering it through her own her own lens yes her own filter of of this is what he means and she gets annoyed when I force her to ask when and my big thing is you know occupation what is the occupation are we talking about Jaffa and Haifa and is Tel Aviv the occupation or is only Ramallah, you know, or, 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 or Gush Etzion, the, the, the occupation. And um, every so often we're both surprised by probing further to find out, no, our assumption was a bit off because people speak in these slogans and shorthand and forget that we don't know what they're actually talking about. So, and I think that's true all the time. And there have been times when uh, I do it myself and I'm pleasantly surprised, meaning I'm surprised and I like being surprised. 
I don't mean su- pleasantly surprised in the sense that it's, it's the answer I want. I like being surprised by people. Right, right. You have a story about your ex-Jewish mother-in-law who has a relative in Gaza. I feel like I want to get into that, but is is it going to be a long? Is it a long? It's season? a long story. There's a video called uh, Ayala story, the story of Ayala, Ayala Jamali. Y A L A. What? Ayala Jamali. Jamili. Jamili. Yes. Yes. So people um, can check it out on YouTube. Okay, you know all this. Wow. Okay. I did my homework. I did my homework. I told okay, you, you're I'm a fan of what because, you do. Okay, and also, I'm I'm very, like, I don't believe anybody. Because people here tell Baba Mises. They tell uh, uh, stories that they heard in their family. Half the time, nobody's ever sure if they're true, right? So I, I met Ayala. Uh, I met uh, her sons. And then I finally met the daughter who lives in Gaza. And I was like, okay, it's all wrapped up for me. Like, I know this has happened. I know this is true. Um, so, yes. People have fun. to check it out. I'm going to direct them to your channel. I'm going to put a link in my a, show it's notes. It's a very cool story. So Okay. Last question. And this is the million-dollar question. Sure. What is the solution for peace in the Middle East? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, anything from everyone should get a bit stoned so they start stop taking themselves so This seriously. is a family-friendly um, show. And one second, we do get stoned, but not the stones we want. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. The other stone. Look, I don't even I don't even smoke. So, like, you know, like I'm just saying there is something to oh my god, everyone takes themselves way too seriously. Everyone is very self-absorbed here. I have my friends in Ramat Beit Shemesh who are sure that everyone is against the religious. Everyone is against the religious. I'm in the secular community. Nobody's talking about the religious. Nobody cares about the religious. Nobody thinks about the religious. Only when something big happens. The same thing between Israelis, Palestinians. Everyone takes themselves way too, they're too self-absorbed, takes themselves too seriously. That's part of it. Uh, What's the solution? I have no clue. I want, I wish there was a way for everyone, as this is a Canadian value, for everyone to get what they want to some extent. They won't get everything because you have to give up something. Um, but to get as much as we could possibly live with and still get along and have good uh, relations. I don't know what that is. No idea. No idea. I actually, I think uh, out of all the solutions, I still think two-state solution with some kind of confederation thing uh, above it is probably makes the most sense because it's been around for the longest. And it's the it's the one that nobody wants to really do. Because all the other alternatives are even worse. You That's know, I was I was really loving you until now, but now you're. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> because and I know why. I know why. Because you're going to say it's all one country. It's ours. It belongs to Israel. And I'll say yes. But then, what do the Palestinians do? What, they what move is their to. Role at all? They move to another country. That's, That's never going to happen. I you're don't know. In La La Land. They, they, land. Now look from a conflict from a conflict resolution perspective. If you could, I mean, either you'd have to kill them all. Do we want genocide? I don't, but no. that's what you want. Or you pay them. How are we going to pay them so many millions of dollars? That's that's about 5 million Palestinians plus all the Palestinian refugees outside. That's We're talking trillions and trillions of dollars. We don't... I, I know Dubai, Jews Dubai think, was built on a pile of sand. Anything yes, is possible. Yes, they have oil. We don't have that kind of oil. We, we do have oil. They just discovered Not oil in there. Okay, you do the math and prove it to me. <laughs> if and, and if you... And as I say to everybody, everybody who comes up with, the, with, the, uh, uh, with these ideas, go speak to Palestinians. If you can convince them, I'm okay with it. 
Well, I, I'm going to leave. Know. I'm going to leave the dirty work to you. I'm going to sit right here in Ramapi Chema, do no, the interviews. No, 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 no. I do not allow that because everybody. I love how everybody. I have a friend who also believes that um, we can pray together at um, at uh, um, Harabait, uh, the Temple Mount, Al Aqsa. We can pray together, and I'm a great. I will take you to the Waqf, the Islamic Trust. You convince them. If you can convince them that we can do it. Look, I'm an atheist. I don't care if anybody, I just want everyone to get what they want. You know what I want? Yeah. I want you to do a mitzvah on behalf of the Weekly Squeeze. Can you do that what for me? That? What's sure. a mitzvah? Okay. I, know I don't know. You could donate, you could donate $18 to, to my sponsor, Mayor Panim, an organization that uh, supports, um, yeah, Ukrainian refugees and Holocaust oh, survivors okay. and teen programs. So if you want to do that, yes. you, you could find a Chabad guy in Tel Aviv and put on fill-in. What do you no, say? <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't put on film. I'm going to have to have you for another episode. I will give money to help people. I do. That I agree. You're amazing. Yeah, I saw you have a couple of charities that you're invested in that, that involve Palestinians and Jewish people. Corey, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Much Hatzlacha on all your endeavors. Thank you. And you're and welcome to come with me. I, I, mean, I might take I, I might you're... take you up on the offer. I'm certainly not going to bring my husband because, you know, he's a little bit of a scaredy cat. I'm more brave. But yeah, keep yourself safe. Stay out of trouble. And... Best of luck to you. All right. Hanukkah is around the corner. And that means it is time to buy presents. I don't know. When we were growing up, we didn't um, buy presents. <laughs> we just got some Hanukkah gelt on the fifth night and we called it a day. But this is a new world. My kids already submitted their lists, what they want for Hanukkah. And I told them I will be in touch. <laughs> we'll send them an email and let them know when their stuff, if their stuff is arriving. But that actually led me online down a rabbit hole of interesting gifts that you can get for your family. There is so much to buy. There is so much commercialism in this country. It literally never ends. Like whatever you are interested in, whoever you are buying a gift for, there is the perfect thing for them. And that's why I thought, let me share with you some of the fascinating presents <laughs> that I uncovered or discovered on the internet that you can buy for the special people in your life this Hanukkah. This is actually something that I'm thinking of buying for myself because you guys know that I am a plant killer, essentially. I have murdered a number of plants in my life. And now there's a solution. You can get a plant life support, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bag of H2O that's connected to an IV that you plug into your plant and it kind of just hangs there and drops water, drip drops water into your plant. So then you have, you know, there's no responsibility there. You are putting your plant on life support for about $25 a plant. <laughs> so you might need health insurance to pay your plant's life support bills. But the good news is you won't have to remember to water it or overwater it. This takes care of all that. Okay. What else can you get for the special people in your life? Well, this is for the seniors in your life. You know, as people get older, they tend to forget things. And it could be a little awkward when your mom or grandmother or grandfather or great uncle, you know, just starts to blank out. So why don't you get them the Senior Moments Memory Workout? It's a book of brain teasers and puzzles that will keep the awful senior symptoms at bay. I mean, I, I think that's a very subtle way of saying you're losing your mind. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah. All right. What else do we have here? The teeniest, tiniest vacuum in the world. The world's smallest vacuum. This is for from moms who are on the go 
and they need to have a vacuum in their purse because their kid pulled something down in the grocery store and it's super awkward. You pull out your teeny tiny, the world's smallest vacuum for $25. You have it in your bag. It runs on two batteries and voila, you vacuumed up the mess. Chick chock. And nobody has to know that your kid opened the box of cereal in the grocery store. What else? So many cute things. You can get alpaca slippers. That's cute. Um, you can get an entire cookbook that will give you a bunch of recipes for cake mugs. Now, I have a history with cooking in my microwave. I am guilty of attempting to make eggs in the microwave and then discovering that it works. It might not be the most delicious eggs, but, you know, you don't have to clean a pan and it can remind you of traveling because it tastes like the eggs that you get on airplanes. So that's something to consider. So, yeah, I, I would potentially get such a cookbook, but I don't have a microwave. That is something that we have taken upon ourselves for Shalom Bayes reasons. What else? A lie detector test. You can buy a lie detector test now that you can put together for $24. For $24, you can now determine if your kid actually brushed their teeth or not. It's as simple as that. I mean, you put it together, you put your kid's finger on it, you ask them the question, and voila, you go brush your teeth. And don't ever lie to your mommy again. Yeah. What else? This is cute. It's called the potty piano. And this is for the musician in your life. You can make music while you're on the toilet. That's right, folks. You can now have a potty piano. It comes with sheet music. So you can sit on the bathroom and play your favorite tunes. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. But it exists and you can get it for $30. Love it. Just love it. You know what else I love? The mobile phone jail. This is a Jail for cell phones. Are you tired of your loved ones being on their phones too much, being on their devices? You can lock up their phones in this little jail cell. It fits a whole bunch of cell phones. It comes with a lock and key. You can have it at parties. You could have it at dinner. Everybody's phone goes into the little phone jail and nobody gets it out until they take the lie detector test that indicates that they did their chores. See? See how those presents can work together? You got to plan ahead. That's why I'm helping you out here. All right, what else can you buy for your family that they can appreciate and that can make your life easier? Well, what about the champagne flute baby bottle? Okay, just because your baby is drinking from a bottle doesn't mean it doesn't have to be classy. This bottle is in the shape of a champagne glass. So why not encourage your infant to get a head start with her alcoholism? I mean, that's, that's yeah. Okay, um... Is your cat a psychopath? Well, I don't know about your cat. I just know about Israel's cats. And all of Israel's cats are psychopaths. So if you need a book to try to figure out if your cat's Israeli, you can buy that book for Hanukkah, for yourself, or for the cat lover in your life. Now, what about the single in your life? Well, there is a great present for them, and it only costs $5.85. You can get it at Walmart, and it's basically a grow-your-own boyfriend or grow-your-own chassan. You take this little menchi, you add water, it grows to six times its original two-inch size, okay, to 12 inches. You could dry him out and then put him on the shelf. And you have a man in your life that you created by yourself. That's a pretty good gift. What about the vegans in your life? Well, you can get them the vegan cookbook. It's called How to Be a Vegan and Keep Your Friends. Well, just don't invite them for dinner. <laughs> and if you do, you can give them a piece of cheesecake that's actually just a strawberry cheesecake candle. I mean, they don't even have to eat the dairy. They could just smell it and then go out to eat 
and complain about what an awful person you are now that you are a vegan. All right, so those are some ideas for presents. I will keep you updated what gets delivered in time for Hanukkah here to Israel <laughs> and what doesn't. Um, but let's move on to the most pressing conversation of the moment following the obscene two-hour live streaming of Frakakta West, which I am still recovering from. Um, I think it's extremely important to remind Jewish Americans that we have to recognize that true equality and inclusion must include viewpoint diversity. We have to have respect for real, meaningful political differences and outlooks. We need to embrace a multitude of ideas, even if they make us comfortable. Now, speech is very powerful. It's very powerful. Hashem gave us the power of speech. God gave us the ability to speak, and that is something that animals cannot do. It is a gift to the human being. We are endowed with the ability to build goodness and kindness in the world through our words. We can speak words of love, of kindness, of friendship, of comfort, of joy. There's also holy speech, like davening, like prayer, reading from the Torah, learning, brachais, words of consolation. There are so many ways that we can use speech for good. But due to the potent power of words, they can also be used to create tremendous destruction. And that's what we saw when an American pop icon used his freedom of speech to destroy his legacy, his family, his friendships, his work alliances, his financial security, and his relationship with the Jewish people, which is kaput, finished, over. But that was his choice. And America is a country where competition of ideas is foundational to a free and prosperous society. Okay, And as Jews, we have free choice. We have free choice to say and not say what we please. This is one of the unique features of being a Jew in America. You can practice free speech and you can practice free choice. All right, now it is story time. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Story Hour with Hanala. 50 years ago, there was a lawyer named David Goldberger, and he led a team of dedicated lawyers from the ACLU of Illinois in representing a group of Chicago-area Nazis who wanted to demonstrate in downtown Skokie, Illinois. Obviously, this decision created a huge amount of outrage because Skokie was a village that was nearly half Jewish and home to hundreds of Holocaust survivors. This is 10 years after the Holocaust. Can you imagine? So obviously, the village was determined to block the Nazi demonstration, and it was so intense that it turned the Skokie case into a landmark example of the vitality of the First Amendment as well as the ACLU's fierce commitment to the principle that freedom of speech is a universal right, no matter how offensive the message or the speaker. So this is the visual. 20 to 50 members of the Nazi party were going to appear in their uniforms with swastika armbands carrying Nazi banners and signs with the words free speech for white people. 10 years after the Holocaust, in a city full of Holocaust survivors. The demonstration was to last for 30 minutes, after which the Nazis would return to their headquarters on the south side of Chicago and live miserably ever after. Now, Skokie filed a lawsuit. They did not want this demonstration to take place. They wanted to oppose and not allow any Nazi to set foot in their village. Now, the lawyers involved 
um, their initial advice was that they should just let the Nazis do their brief demonstration, get it over with, and it would be forgotten. But Skokie's Holocaust survivors were unpersuaded. They wanted the village to oppose the demonstration at all costs. So the members of the community council agreed, and they took it to the courts. Now, who's defending the Nazis? Well, it's David Goldberger, the very Jewish David Goldberger, who describes how late at night he would receive calls from people telling him that he, that he would be punished for representing the Nazis. Um, he describes how one afternoon members of the Jewish Defense League appeared at the Illinois ACLU office reception area swinging baseball bats while his staff members quickly closed the door so that he would not be seen. At his parents' shul, a rabbi gave a speech excoriating him for defending the free speech rights of Nazis. He says, luckily, my parents weren't in shul that day. Now, the ADL also filed its own suit on behalf of Skokie's Holocaust survivors, saying that any Nazi demonstration in Skokie would cause serious emotional harm because the Holocaust survivors living there would be forced to relive their personal Holocaust experiences. Now, that could be true, but no one who objected the Nazis had to attend their demonstration. And if you start making claims of subjective harm, then you can shut down any public assembly from anyone because of anyone who objects a controversial demonstration. You could just say, well, that's causing me emotional harm. Anyways, at the end, the demonstration, the Nazi demonstration was moved to downtown Chicago. And on June 24th, with a thousand Chicago police officers there to control the counter demonstrators, it went off without a hitch. David Goldberger actually moved out of his house for that week because tempers were running so high. He describes that when he came back, someone had thrown eggs at his front door. Until this day, this case brings up difficult feelings about representing a client whose constitutional rights are being violated, but who is also a bigot. However, there were times when David Goldberger gave speeches about the Skokie case and Holocaust survivors courageously stood up to say that he had the right to represent the Nazis. He writes that years after this demonstration, a survivor sent him a letter saying the same thing. She wrote that they did not want the Nazis driven underground by speech repressive laws or court injunctions. They wanted to be able to see their enemies in plain sight so that they would know who they are. The Skokie residents also responded to the case by opening a spectacular Illinois Holocaust Museum. I get the chills just saying this. It honors the lives lost in the Holocaust. So out of this pain and the anger from the Skokie case came the perfect answer to the Nazis, a monument to ensure that the damage done by the Holocaust will never be forgotten. The destructive power of negative speech is surpassed only by the beneficial power of positive speech. Praising and speaking positively about our fellow human beings. It benefits ourself, it benefits the person being praised, and it benefits all of society. So let's combat darkness with light, negative speech with positive speech, and evil with good. My next guest is Laura Loomer. Laura is a free speech absolutist. That means that her entire activism is surrounding the First Amendment, and the freedom of all people, all people, whatever their thoughts are, to say their piece and not be arrested for it. 
The First Amendment does not include a clause for hate speech. Hate speech is subjective. And I know what you're thinking, but what if it causes violence? Kanye is causing violence. There is no way to indicate that the things that Kanye said actually created violence. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And if you want Kanye West to be arrested for the things that come out of his mouth, well, try to imagine a world where Kanye West became the president. And he decided that a Jew should get arrested for the things that he said that Kanye didn't like. Well, that would take us right back to KGB-controlled Russia. So a world where Kanye doesn't get to speak is not a safe world for the Jewish people. And that is what Laura Loomer believes. She believes that the only way that the Jewish people can be safe in America is if she continues to fight for free speech no matter what form it takes. And if that means aligning herself with some pretty shady characters, well, she's willing to take one for the team. And you have to be intellectually honest now when you listen to what Laura's saying to understand that just because it hurts, and yes, it hurts, I am still reeling, just because it hurts that for Cock the West and Little Weasel Fuentos get to say their piece doesn't mean we can stop them. The only thing we can do is not attend their demonstration. Turn them off, not buy their clothes, not buy their sneakers, not watch their shows. Ignore, 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 ignore. That's right. Laura Loomer, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Thanks for having me. Great to be. Is that a crocodile head behind you? The crocodile head. I live here in Florida, so uh, it's a real crocodile. You know, I ran for Congress. <laughs> I ran for Congress twice, actually, and uh, I saw it uh, in a in a shop here in uh, my district, the shop that specializes in uh, crocodile or alligator, rather, uh, taxidermy. And I said, well, in my congressional office, I want to have a crocodile head above my desk, you know? Is it symbolic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The mouth is open. The teeth are out. It's symbolic. It's the it's the most feared uh, animal in the swamp, right? And so that's what I wanted to be in D.C. You know, I wanted to... I wanted to be the uh, anti-swamp monster. <laughs> well, don't give it all away. We're going to get to it slowly. I'm going to ask you a series of questions that gets to who you are and what you do. So let me ask you, how important is what you do to America, to the world, and to yourself? Well, it's it's very important, uh, not just to myself, but uh, to the functioning of our society as a constitutional republic here uh, in America. <laughs> And it's uh, also important for uh, the world, uh, for people who are not familiar with what we're talking about. Uh, you know, I'm talking about my free speech activism. Um, my background is in uh, investigative journalism and activism. I'm Jewish myself, and uh, I used to have millions of followers on different social media sites <laughs> across various different platforms uh, for my investigative journalism and kind of gonzo guerrilla style reporting, where I would uh, show up to different events and hold politicians accountable for um, you know their corruption or their lies and. Uh, you know, I've come to be known uh, falsely in the media by my detractors um, as, you know, a huge Islamophobe and they call me an anti-Muslim bigot. I, I broke this story about Ilhan Omar, who obviously hates Jews uh, and is a congresswoman uh, from Somalia serving in uh, Congress. And as a result, I was completely banned from all social media sites and even shut down from my bank account. And it turns out that a group called the Council on American Islamic Relations, which is basically Hamas Fair. in America, mm -hmm. here, 
uh, lobbied Twitter to ban me. And so, uh, you know, it's really been the focus point of my life for the last five or six years uh, living as one of the canary in the coal mines for all of this censorship and deplatforming. And it started as a result of me, um, you know, exposing anti-Semitism, right? Exposing somebody like Ilhan Omar and holding politicians accountable. And um, I got to see just how quickly different groups and different uh, social media companies will just warp reality and completely undermine the United States Constitution to disenfranchise people in our society. And so I'm very passionate about protecting free speech, even views that I may not necessarily agree with, because I do believe that big tech censorship and uh, big tech tyranny is the greatest threat to our country, our United States Constitution, and to free people all around the world. And it's happening in real time, all the time, all over America. It's happening all over the world, right? So we- Oh, sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. We just saw uh, Elon Musk the other day release the Twitter files, and we now see that everything that I've been saying for years now has been proven to be true, which is that yes. they coordinated conspiracy. I use the term conspiracy because that, of course, is you know a, a coordinated effort with a sinister underlying uh, motive. That's what this is. It is a conspiracy by the most powerful executives in our country in big tech, uh, leftist work to censor. Yeah, to censor people. The United States government, including the FBI, to censor people to advance a left wing uh, one world order, new world order political agenda. And that's what we've been saying for years. We saw this during COVID. People locked down all around the world, all around the world. Look at what happened in Israel. Israel, I believe, is the most vaccinated country in the entire world with over 95% of the population uh, vaccinated. Uh, many, many of the people in Israel vaccinated against their own will, right, by a government. It, whoa, 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 back up. In our defense, number one, we had less uh, fatalities than any other, than many other countries. Number two, as somebody who experienced COVID here, nobody was forced, coerced, or um, bullied into taking the vaccine. I had completely free choice. There was no pressure. Sure, they called my phone a dozen times, but I know a number of people here, grown-ups, families, children, moms, even the elderly that chose not to have the vaccine and were able to do their thing. So I just well, want to put that out I, there. I would say I know, you know, from going to Israel and having a lot of friends and allies there who are also, you know, Jewish activists, I would I would argue the contrary and that the Israeli government, they tried implementing the Green Pass. OK, so I mean, I don't see how the Green Pass is any different than the yellow star that Nazis used to make Jews wear during and you know before the time of the Holocaust to identify themselves. So I would say that that is you're very dramatic. The Green Pass was designed. Hang on. The, the, the Green Pass was designed early on in the fight against covid when people were still exploring whether the vaccines worked or not. And once there was some sort of evidence that perhaps the numbers were dropping and perhaps the vaccines were working, there was a system set up so we could kind of figure out how not to keep spreading COVID like crazy. Now, obviously, when you look back, a lot of things that we did that we thought were normal were abnormal, but we were caught in the middle of this trial and everything. I don't believe for 
again, I don't want to get into this full conversation right. about Israel it, specifically. It, it's more of a tangent, you know, but I'm using the example of the vaccinations and I'm using Israel as an example because we saw all around the world where if you voiced opposition to this, right, like we are right now having a debate about the effectiveness of these vaccines or the vaccine mandates. People online were not able to have the conversation and the back and forth that you and I are having right now. And it's important, right, that we are able to have these conversations uh, regardless of what the topics may be. And we saw that people all around the world were shut down by these big tech companies for pushing out what they called uh, election misinformation, COVID disinformation, uh, and what they call hate speech, which is essentially anything that the big tech social media companies uh, disagree with politically. And it's very important, right? Just like we demonstrated in this little exchange that we just had, it's very important for people to be able to have conversations amongst themselves and to be able to, you know, peacefully and respectfully uh, debate back and forth, because this is how a normal society functions, right? You you have people mm-hmm. who have different ideas and you come to the best idea or you come to an understanding or the choice that you make, right, as an autonomous individual with free will, which is given to us by God. According to the conversations that you have, the information that is available to you so that you can make decisions. And if we live in a society where information is curated by five billionaires in Silicon Valley who have a uh, precise and distinct biased political agenda, we're not going to uh, be receiving information to make good decisions for ourselves or our political process or our well-being. Okay, but what role does the government have in protecting its citizens? It's citizens from violence that's initiated by hate speech, by, you know, this kind of discourse that we're seeing on social media, by bullying, by the opportunities for haters across the world to connect on social platforms and peddle hate and also misinformation. What what responsibility do we have as a system to protect, let's say, in this perfect example, the Jewish people from increased hate crimes because of the things Kanye said? Well, look, I I think that it's important for people to understand that Israel's system of governance is entirely different from ours here in the United States, okay? You have a Knesset, okay? That's what your system is there in Israel. You have a Knesset. Here in the United States, we have a constitutional republic and a United States Congress uh, governed by the United States Constitution and the First Amendment is exclusively unique to the United States of America. We are the only country in the world that has a First Amendment, free speech. And so it makes sense unique because the Supreme Court has already found, and people can look this up, it was a Supreme Court case from 2017 called Matal versus Tom. And the Supreme Court already has ruled that there is literally no such thing as hate speech. And so while, you know, you're asking now, what role does the government play in protecting us from hate speech? Hate speech is a very subjective, personal term. It doesn't exist here in America because there's no hate speech exception to the First Amendment. So Holocaust denial is protected speech. Holocaust denial is protected speech here in the United uh, States of America. Uh, I know that there are people who would say that that's hate speech, but this is a term that didn't exist in our society until really the creation of social media companies and uh, this responsibility that they took upon themselves to start curating our information. And while as Jews, like I certainly don't agree with everything that Kanye has said. I certainly don't agree with everything that Nick Fuentes has said, but I've been able to have decent relations with them. You know, I'm, 
I'm friends with Nick Fuentes. And a lot of Jews find that to be despicable. They say, how can you be friends with somebody like Nick Fuentes? Because we find common ground in free speech absolutism. And we okay, find- I, want, I want to get to that in a minute, though. I do want to get to that in a minute. Hang on. But there's a few things I want people to understand before this. First of all, I'm not sure if people are aware that I mean, for you, this is like ABCs, but that Twitter and social media and all these platforms are private companies where the laws of free speech don't apply because they're owned by individuals who could decide who plays and who doesn't. Well, I think that that's an archaic argument that has been used to justify political censorship. These companies have now completely transcended the role of a private company. Um, It's interesting you bring that up because in 2018, I actually, I filed a lawsuit against Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Apple, and the lawsuit ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court. And... um, you know, in this in this uh, lawsuit, we accuse these companies of engaging in a conspiracy to try to overthrow the United States government, interfere in our elections. And um, also, we made the argument that they are not private companies. They're actually state actors. And the Twitter files re- that were just released by Elon Musk confirm the basis and the premise of my uh, legal arguments and the litigation. And that but Elon uh, Musk doesn't work for the government. Right. But he's the new owner of Twitter. And what I'm talking about by these companies not being private and being state actors, when you are coordinating with the United States government, you are an actor of the state. And so these 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 new Twitter files and the new ownership of Twitter are going to provide um, a lot of fodder, right, for potential litigation. And I know that my legal team and I, we're already looking at these Twitter files. I recently filed a RICO case um, alleging, right, the premise of my RICO case was outlining this criminal conspiracy, uh, this uh, illegal racketeering operation, kind of like, you know, you think of uh, criminal enterprise organized crime, right? The mafia, RICO was utilized to break up a mafia. Well, that's what big tech is, right? They are a mafia. They're a mafia conspiring in a criminal manner to uh, influence our elections illegally and to rob people of their civil rights. And um, so we are um, advancing in our, our litigation. And I'm you know, looking forward to pursuing this argument even more now that the Twitter files confirm that these companies are indeed state actors. You are not a private company once you start taking orders from the FBI. You are a state actor. OK. OK. Understood, I think. <laughs> Let, let's go back for one second. I want to take this a little personal because you are very passionate about your activism, clearly. I mean, this is your calling. You invest all your time in this. It's very personal to you. And it's also a heated argument almost always. I mean, it appears that it's you're always in the middle of something super intense because there's so much pushback, I would say, from the left, clearly, to create censorship so that they can continue with their agendas. And the right also. I've been censored by the right. I've been even censored by my own Jewish community. And so it's not just the left, it's the right as well. Uh, there are even right-wing Jewish organizations that have you know, pummeled on me and tried to violate my civil rights and violate my, you know, my free speech rights by engaging in the smears of me and attacking me uh, because of my activism. So I never got an apology from the, Jew- the Jews who attacked me, um, who claimed to be ideologically aligned. Like, 
when, you know, people were calling me anti-Muslim and cheering on, cheering on the bands of me for exposing Ilhan Omar, <laughs> they, 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 they stayed silent and they said that I went too far. And now that everything that I reported about Ilhan Omar being tied to ISIS and marrying her brother and committing immigration fraud has turned out to be true. Like, where are these Jews who threw me under the bus, you know? So, so it's not just the left. Like I feel as a Jew, totally betrayed by the Jewish community. I feel betrayed by right-wing Jewish political organizations. And I think that they, you know, bear some responsibility for, uh, you know, the rise of anti-Semitism that they perceive as anti-Semitism in America. Because if you're going to participate in the silencing of another human being, and you're going to participate in cancel culture, don't be surprised if people start attacking you um, verbally online. So if they don't want people to be critical of Jews, then they should stop silencing people. And it's groups like the ADL, okay, it's groups like APAC, they are actively trying to censor people. And I personally think that left-wing Jewish organizations that are pushing for things like mass migration or uh, pushing for censorship, they are actually creating anti-Semitism because they're giving people a reason to express hatred towards Jews. I'm not saying that I agree with the hatred. I'm just explaining that, you know, every action has a reaction and they're antagonizing more anti-Semitism by promoting cancel culture. It must be complicated to be Jewish and identify with Israel and the Jewish people and kind of have that in the mix. Is God part of your activism? Is, is this something that you give deep thought to? Do you have perhaps a spiritual mentor that you sometimes talk to? I used to. I mean, honestly, it's made it very difficult because, you know, it's put me in an, in an odd position, like I said, because, you know, being, um, being a right-wing Jew is an anomaly in itself, right? <laughs> Maybe not in Israel, but here in the United States of America, um, you know, most Jews are, are left-leaning and Democrats. So you're already kind of an anomaly in the Jewish community when you're a Republican Jew. And then when you're a free speech absolutist and you're fighting for people who, you know, criticize Jews to have uh, free speech in America, um, you know, you're attacked. And sometimes you're even rejected by your own Jewish community. So I found it very hard at times to, um, you know, like, regularly attend synagogue, even though I used to, you know, be more religious and be more spiritual and be more active, um, you know, like attending services, because sometimes people, they look down on you. And I don't really feel like being judged every single time I would go to uh, synagogue by Jews who may not necessarily like share my same passion for free speech or share my same passion for activism. So, um, you know, it's, it's painful, especially because, you know, when I ran for Congress in um, 2020, <laughs> I ran in the most Jewish district in the entire country, Palm Beach County. And my race actually made headlines all over the world because I, as a conservative right-wing Jew, <laughs> uh, I was supported by President Trump. He also voted for me. And I ran against a Jewish Democrat incumbent. So it was the first time ever in United States history where a Republican Jewish woman was on the same ticket running against a Democrat Jewish woman. <laughs> and uh, they had reporters from Israel come down and report on the race and they called it like Jewish culture wars. But the media, because I'm right wing, they wouldn't even refer to me as Jewish. They would say things like uh, far right extremists running against Jewish Democrat congresswoman. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's it's hard. Yeah, it gets pretty it gets pretty brutal. But but 
you must get some sort of thrill from all of this because nobody's forcing you to engage in this kind of intense lifestyle. And I want to just just refer back to the Fuentes thing for a second because that's big for me. I need to get past it before we even this continue this conversation. You know, being a free speech activist, the company you keep in this line of activism, in this line of work, I mean, you're rubbing elbows with some pretty awful individuals. I mean, the neo-Nazis love you. Alex Jones, who's made a career of peddling conspiracy theories. This week, you were literally on the phone with Kanye West. Yes, the first thing you said was, I I could see you having a little Hitler fetish here. But at the same time, doesn't your skin ever crawl when you're around so many people who have some very deep issues with other individuals? Because the people in those circles, the neo-Nazis and the ones who are obsessed with, you know, denying that the Holocaust ever happened and just all of that part of society. I mean, you cannot deny that many of them are just awful or just broken individuals that have deep issues that they need to lash out at the world in this way. I don't agree with everything that Nick says. I don't agree with everything that Ye says, but we, um, you know, Nick and- Do you agree with anything they say? Yeah, actually, I do. I do agree with um, a lot of Nick's uh, political uh, positions. I agree with his views on immigration. I agree that we need an immigration moratorium. And so, um, I, I want to give you. I want to give you an analogy. Okay, just so, just bear with me a second. You know what Kishka is, right? Okay, so Kishka initially back in the shtetl was actually intestines from the animal that were stuffed with like a doughy filling and spices and then put into the chalent and cooked over Shabbos and then sliced up. So there's an anecdote of a Sephardic woman and an Ashkenazi woman. The Sephardi woman tells the Ashkenazi woman, how do you make your chalent? Your kishka is delicious. So the Ashkenazi woman calls her after Shabbat and says, listen, take the intestines, fill it up with the, the, the filling, tie it on both sides, put it in the pot. Tomorrow you're gonna have the most amazing chalent of your life, okay? Shabbos arrives, the Sephardi family are all excited for the kishka, and they open the pot, and lo and behold, it smells like crap. What? And she was like, I don't understand, I followed the exact instructions. She calls up the Ashkenazi, and the Ashkenazi's like, did you clean out the intestines? So the point here is, you could take something delicious, but when you soften it to something that smells like S-H-I-T, it's not worthwhile. So if you're telling me that Nick Fuentes has positive political views, it doesn't matter to me when it's packaged in something that stinks like S-H-I-T. And he does. He's vile. And I'm not, this is not a referendum on him. It's not even worth my time. My question, though, is, do you sometimes feel like perhaps you're getting lost in this universe of not such great people? Is it worth it? Look, I, I'm a free speech absolutist, and I'm not trying to tell everybody who's listening that you have to invite Nick over for dinner and, you know, go hang out with him and go have dinner with him. I'm just saying that, you know, you can fight for Nick Fuentes's right for free speech and his right to have equal rights in America and to be treated uh, like, you know, an American uh, without having his bank account shut down, without being put on the no-fly list. And you don't have to agree with everything that he says. And that's what I'm trying to teach people is that, you know, personally, Nick has been, he's been very kind to me. I don't agree with everything that he said, but uh, clearly he doesn't hate all Jews. Like he endorsed my congressional. How how can you say that? Uh, One second, one second, one second. I know, I know you're Jewish, but besides you, 
okay, besides you. He literally encouraged a, a super popular pop icon to get on Alex Jones' show in the middle of a bipolar meltdown or whatever he was going through and spew obscenities, obscene comments, hurtful, painful, awful. I mean, it was the most vile thing I've ever seen in my life. And my grandmother's a Holocaust survivor. And sat and egged him on and jeered and encouraged it and 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 cultivated it and coordinated it. How can you find anything redeeming with that type of behavior? My focus is to promote free speech and the but le- promote it somewhere else. Well, look, I'm I'm here in America right now, and this is the biggest threat to our country and the biggest threat to our elections. And we're going to lose our country and we're going to lose election integrity if we don't start fighting for people's right for free speech. And Nick is not, in my opinion, he's not inciting violence. You may find his his comments to be hurtful and they may uh, be distasteful. And I'm not saying that I agree with everything that he said. I certainly don't agree with everything Nick has said um, about the Holocaust. I certainly don't agree with Ye's comments about um, Hitler and Nazis. And I said that I made that very clear when I called into Alex Jones. Uh, but I remind people that it was a Jewish lawyer, right, during the Skokie trial here in the United States, a Jewish ACLU lawyer by the name of Yes, that fought for the right for the Nazis to march. David Goldberger, and he fought for the right for the Nazis and the skinheads to march. And so, you know, Jews have always taken it upon themselves to rise to the occasion and uh, to, you know, fight for fight for what is right. And what just because something doesn't make you feel good on the inside doesn't mean that it's not right. Right. So you may not personally like what Nick is saying and Jews may find his comments to be distasteful. But the right thing to do is to fight for Nick Fuentes's right to free speech. And to- uh, would you be fighting for Hitler's free right to free speech if, if, if he had a platform now and he was about to commit the Holocaust? He's, he was wasn't a United States citizen. Uh, what I'm what I'm saying is hypothetically, hypothetically, what if Nick Fuentes is like, I am going to start the next Holocaust, Holocaust 2.0. I will fight for anybody's right to free speech, no matter how how no matter how distasteful their viewpoints may be, as long as they are not inciting violence. And that is what the United States Constitution says, and that's what our lawmakers should be doing. They should be fighting for everybody's right to free speech up until the point where it incites violence and. The fact that the big tech social media companies and progressive organizations in America have been able to convince the public that we have hate speech laws when we don't, (laughs) they have hate speech laws in the UK. I'm speaking from a perspective here in the United States of America. Laws are different, right? In the UK, they have hate speech laws in the UK. I don't agree with those laws, but we are unique here in America because we are the only country in the world that has a First Amendment right. It's what separates us from every other country in the world. I, I believe that it's what at a point in time, once made us the greatest country in the world. I think that we have had a serious fall from grace. Uh, but but um, yeah, I will continue to fight for everybody to um, to to speak up and have their voice heard, even if um, even if they are Holocaust deniers. And look, I say that as somebody whose grandfather was was arrested by Nazis in Germany. Um, I'm how, how do you think he would feel <laughs> if he saw you hanging out with these people? I don't know. You think he would be you think he would be like, well, it's for free speech again. Don't get me wrong. I am completely for free speech. I am with you on that all the way. And when you say it doesn't incite violence. okay, just let's play devil's advocate here. And again, I'm not a lawyer. My brother is, but I'm not. Um, I wanted to punch him in the face, but that's not real violence. I'm talking about on the streets when we see immediately an an increase 
in violent anti-Semitic attacks targeted specifically at Jews, okay? How can how is that not inciting violence? And what should be done when that is a direct reaction of live streaming a Kanye West tirade against the Jews to millions of people around the world and then saying, well, let him speak his mind. As a matter of fact, let's shove more microphones in his face. No, we don't know what inspires people to commit violent actions. And the people who are uh, committing violent actions against Jews, like those are their own actions, right? So our legal system, we don't punish people in America for crimes committed by others simply because, you know, somebody was a consumer of content. And um, I, I wouldn't, I would say that the rise in hate crimes against Jews um, predated Kanye or Ye's appearance on Infowars. And so, you know, we really honestly, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk about, you know, the, the statistics here, uh, the, the FBI had reported an increase in uh, hate crimes against Jews in America. Uh, and you saw a direct correlation between uh, the installment of people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib in the United States Congress with those hate crimes. And so I would say that, um, you know, Yay and Nick Fuentes, they are not members of Congress. Uh, the incitement of violence against Jews here in America uh, was taking place long before um, Nick and Ye had dinner with Trump at Mar-a-Lago and long before their um, appearances on Infowars. But this is what I'm talking about, right? Like <laughs> you have all of these uh, political individuals and left-wing organizations, and they don't want to talk about um, groups like the ADL working directly with CARE and the fact that CARE is Hamas in America, right? They want to focus on Ye. They want to focus on Nick Fuentes, right? Because they- So you're saying it's a distraction and it's, you know, you're we're, instead of uh, analyzing this little circus, this little sideshow, we should be paying attention to what's actually happening right under our noses. Well, I just think that there's a lot of intellectual dishonesty, like all these people that are so outraged all of a sudden about comments about Jews, like where have these people been? <laughs> where have these people been when groups like CARE operate <laughs> freely in America? <laughs> where were they? And are sending millions of dollars to Palestinians. Yeah, yeah. where were these people when to fund terrorism? They mm -hmm. shut down uh, one of the loudest Jewish activists in America. Where were these people when Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib uh, were put on prestigious committee assignments by the Democrats, right? So I just think that it's a lot of faux outrage and they're talking about it now because uh, most of the Jews in this country are Democrats and this all became uh, a media obsession talking point once EA and Nick Fuentes had dinner with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. But what about the fact that these same people like Jonathan Greenblatt, for example, the head of the ADL, who is, you know, attacking Nick and attacking Ye, uh, he had no problem covering up and defending for Barack Hussein Obama, who brought jihadists into the White House and who openly had meetings with Louis Farrakhan. So I think that there's a, a lot of hypocrisy and people pick and choose what they decide to be outraged over. And uh, they want certain people to be banned because of their political affiliation. The people that are like crying about Jew hatred right now, they don't have any problem with Jew hatred. They love Jew haters. Look at their own political associations. Look at look at who these Democrats associate with. Okay. Look at look at who they support politically. Like that that's another reason why, you know, I just I think that it's all very political in nature and they're weaponizing it as uh another attack point against Donald Trump. I don't really think that they would have cared if Nick had dinner with Ye, but the reason why this has turned into such uh, a big 
uh, media fiasco is because they were at Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump. And you have people on the right and the left who want to attack President Donald Trump uh, because of the threat he poses to the establishment. And I so being somebody who's very politically active, I've been laughing at some of the attacks that I've seen and some of these people all of a sudden crawling out of the woodwork, uh, pretending like they care about anti-Semitism, right? Oh, hold on. But I care about anti-Semitism and I was very turned off that Trump had had dinner with e- either of them, regardless of why it happened, how it happened, the optics, the whole thing was just not my jam. Yeah. And 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 perhaps, you know, it's not your jam. It's constitutionally protected speech. But the people here in the media who are attacking Trump for having dinner with Nick and Ye, these are the same people that were more than happy to promote Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. These are the same people who openly will host Jonathan Greenblatt and they will never press him on why during his time as an Obama administration employee, he covered up Louis Farrakhan's uh, relationship with Barack Hussein Obama. So there's, I know, but there's this is a lot of what this is a lot of what about isms. Forget the pol- politicians for a second. Forget the politicians. What about the people? What about the public opinion? What about what these politicians owe us? Do you know what I mean? So when you're saying, well, Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that, at the end of the day, all his Jewish voters were extremely disappointed and turned off. Again, this is not necessarily a free speech issue, but you answered by telling me it's protected for that he could have dinner with whatever he, whoever he wants. I know, but what about integrity and values and everything else that matters in the world? Well, in President Donald Trump's offense, this was supposed to be a private dinner with Ye. And uh, which I, is also he, problematic, which is also problematic because we, you haven't told me yet what you know. But from what I can tell, either he's deeply disturbed and unhealthy and not fit to be running for president, or he's indeed a vile anti-Semite with horrific views that Trump should stay very far away from, considering his Jewish grandchildren and a large Jewish constituent. There are plenty of Jews that voted Trump, is what I'm saying. And, and, and like, where is the... Well, it was supposed to be a private dinner. And regardless of what people think about Ye, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not going to play armchair doctor and diagnose him with anything. But again, it's just, it's this weird obsession, in my opinion, about, you know, and, and it is political hypocrisy. Donald Trump was the president of the United States, okay? Who he decides to welcome into his own private residence to have dinner with is his own personal decision. And so who are we to tell Donald Trump who he can and cannot have dinner with? What are you saying? He is a public servant. He's literally indebted to the people. That's his one job. According to his statement, and and look, I'm not going to speak for the president, but he was set up. I, I, I've been very critical of what Milo Yiannopoulos... He was set up because he's an idiot. Nobody gets set up like that when they don't invite Kanye West, when they know better than to invite Kanye West. Seriously, out of all the people you invited, DEFCON 3 guy? Come on. I voted for him, and now he's sitting with Nick Fuentes. And again, it's just such a turnoff that that, that I, I, I can't even take the time to try to figure out whose rights are being... <laughs> protected or not that's that's what you're for <laughs> and i appreciate you for that but what i'm saying is when you tell people free speech free speech it kind of like is it just a gloss over a lot of bad behavior no because it's that's an emotional response right so i i'm not trying to tell you that you aren't entitled to your own feelings but 
Free speech should transcend. The United States Constitution should transcend emotional responses. And while Jews can have the opinions they want to have about Ye and want to have about Nick Fuentes, and I'm not forcing you to, <laughs> I'm not trying to convince you uh, to befriend Nick Fuentes. You know, I'm, I'm telling you that you should still fight for his right for free speech, even if you don't agree with him and the things that he says, uh, because it's constitutionally protected. And he's entitled to those protections uh, because he's not promoting violence. Violence. He's not a violent individual. He is uh, saying things that some people may find to be distasteful or hateful, but they are protected under the United States Constitution. And so when it's very dangerous when people um, allow for their emotions to overpower the Constitution and you can feel a certain way and you're entitled to feel the way that you feel, but it's important that we don't allow how we feel personally about things to override um, what is legal. Yeah, well, no one's saying what Trump did is illegal. I mean, no, no one's saying about, that. I'm talking about like the, the topic of cancel culture and bans and censorship. So as a Jew, right. I certainly don't agree with everything that Nick has said. I think that he does have some legitimate criticisms of, of Jewish organizations. I do as a Jew who has been uh, targeted by the ADL and has Oh, come on. A broken clock. It also hits 12 o'clock once a day. He's been ranting about everything Jews do. OK, so one one the ADL. Fine. You get that card. But on everything else, it's just pure everything that he says. But I'm not going to allow those disagreements and my Jewish identity to trample his First Amendment rights, because at the end of the day, free speech is greater than all of us. It is. It's it's supreme to everything, in my opinion. Wow. I feel so passionately about this. I even wrote a book about it. So, and I talk about this, you know, um, I, I talk about how my Jewish identity plays into my activism in this book that I wrote, Loomered, How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World. And um, there's an entire chapter about it and how, um, you know, I balance my own Jewish faith and my Jewish identity with what I do. I still don't understand how you cannot want to just stand up in front of the world and be like, I don't agree with any of this. I'm not in the business of, you know, disavowing people, but I will say I didn't agree with Ye's comments about Hitler. I don't agree with his comments about the Nazis, uh, but I will fight to protect his right to free speech. And you'll notice, right, you'll notice that when he was asked by Alex Jones, um, so do you just not like all Jews? Nick Fuentes said, oh, there's some good Jews like Laura Loomer. Right. So the reason why. Yeah, because maybe he's using you. He's like, sure, she's good because because I'm taking advantage of what she's doing for me. The reason they like me and they consider me to be a good Jew is because I'm not calling for them to be banned. Like, look at majority of the Jews in this country, especially the Jews with political influence, and they're using their power and their influence to call for them to be banned. So my message. Because they're saying such horrible things about the Jews. You're so funny. And you're like, I'll take the abuse. I'll take Take the crap. They're allowed to say it. That's the thing is that I don't I don't agree with everything they say about Jews. I don't. But at the same. But you're saying you don't take it personally. I for me and maybe this is hard for people to understand, but I am so married to the idea of free speech absolutism that I have learned not to take it personally. And maybe oh, that, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> maybe that maybe maybe it's hard for people to understand. But I believe in my mission of, you know, promoting free speech. And I've been at this for years. You know, I've 
really one of the first people to be completely banned. And I know what it's like to have your livelihood destroyed. I know what it's like to have your business destroyed and to have your voice silenced. I mean, I ran for Congress and was the only candidate in the nation banned on all social media. That's election interference, okay? So I know what it's like to have your life affected by these companies and uh, making sure that what has happened to me doesn't happen to anybody else in America and abroad is more important to me than how I feel about anything. I totally agree with you that free speech is extremely important, but is there any other way that we can combat it? Like something a little more positive, kumbaya, holding hands, singing together, like nothing to do with Kanye and Fuentes? believe in world peace. I don't believe in like this idea of peace in the Middle East. Like, I think that humans are inherently, uh, you know, um, uh, conflict driven individuals. And um, I think that, um, you know, it's a distortion of reality to expect everybody to get along and unite. Like, people aren't united. And even when people pretend like they're united, they really aren't united, you know, so but that's not the Jewish vision. The Jewish vision is peace on earth. And that we can be a light unto the nations and we can work on ourselves and connect to God and do good things to, and bring light into the world with, you know, Torah and mitzvot. And those are the things that are going to dispel the darkness and the hate in, in so many people's no, hearts. No, and, and people can do those things. But I just I personally just don't believe that there's ever going to be world peace. Maybe, maybe I'm just so black pilled, but I just I've seen so much injustice and I've experienced so much injustice even in my own life, like being banned and being treated as like a second class citizen in my own country for my constitutionally protected speech that I just don't, I just don't, I just don't really like see much hope for humanity. And maybe that's a really black pilled and dark perspective to have, but um, I just, you know, I try to be a realist about things and I, uh, I'm not trying to change anybody. I simply just, um, you know, want to use my time on this planet to encourage people to support and protect free speech. Um, but do I believe that we're ever just going to all hold hands and be united? No, I don't think that we ever will. Well, I certainly do. I certainly do. I have a lot of hope and I think it's going to be good. And yeah, Laura Loomer, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So there you have it. Episode 66 of the Weekly Squeeze. Don't forget to sign up for Mayor Panim. They are the sponsor of the Weekly Squeeze. Until I tell you otherwise, there is a link to their charity page in my show notes. Don't forget to leave me a five-star rating. Let your friends know that you're listening to the Weekly Squeeze. And I will see you on Monday.